Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. Happy National High Five Day. (laughs) Happy National High Five Day, BJ. And high fives all around in the studio. I sure wish it were like Daiquiri Thursday or something. (laughs) I know. It could be a better day. But uh, it was a good day for you. You were out in the swamp. Uh I took my first ever swamp tour. I mean, really, my maiden name is Terrio. I mean, you know, you would think. You've been in the swamp, but yeah. like the official, like, yes, get on right. the big boat, you know. Yes, I've definitely been in the swamp, but I've never the experienced alligators it from that and the way. marshmallows. It was, it was very interesting, and, and we went for a class field trip, and so um, kids loved it, right? And then I was blown away by how many tourists are here. Um, just, I guess, it's that time of year, but so many people, I bet you that's the number one thing that they're attracted to, to if you think you have to do a day trip somewhere from New Orleans, I bet, you know, Swamp Tours is kind of like a bucket list. Thing. Yeah. I mean, it's so iconic, right? The mm-hmm. people that aren't from here to understand like what what a swamp is, what right. the animals are, they want to see it. So, hey, anyone that wants to get out and go on a swamp tour, you know, I think yeah. that helps them understand our environment yeah, a little bit yeah. more. It was a fun day, beautiful day to be outside too. So, but now I'm sitting in here in the studio, like doing my homework. I feel like Catch I've been... <laughs> I know that's always the... The, the flip side of being out <laughs> yes. in the field is that the work continues, yes. but it's been a busy week, right? Were you, there was a CPRA you got, board meeting. Week, you did some media things. I did. We had a journalist from Canada in, uh, in town a, and a. A, yeah, we was a French Canadian. Oh. So yeah, maybe an we, old relative we? or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we did a tour of the Carnarvon freshwater diversion, oh, nice. which um, it was just beautiful. There's so many spring of spring, birds, huh? yeah. so much wildlife, so many alligators. It was just like very very vibrant cool very yeah. cool i thought i was gonna one up you with the field trip this week being out and about well i think it was, it was this morning so you, i think you still i want you still won. Win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah very competitive well last week we we hinted at this and and we really wanted to a friend um use this term this week we really want to unpack it this week some of the science that's been coming out lately it's it's been a lot right and there have been similar articles saying uh pretty much the same thing but we wanted to go back to two of our very close friends on delta dispatches and uh, ask them about the articles and and what they've been working on and those kinds of things so a very science focused episode today science but also science that has been getting a lot of attention yes, and so definitely. it's important to kind of take a step back and be like okay what does this really mean right. we know that there's some of these headlines out there and can be a little bit scary or you know um concerning but let's get down to the basics so you know npr has science friday i'll huh? declare this officially science thursday can we do science and daiquiri thursday <laughs> there we go <laughs> so who who's up first simone so a friend of ours clint wilson he's a professor in the lsu department of civil and environmental engineering that clint did you just get a panera bread in your new building Yes, we did. I mean, well, it's really? Not, it's actually not, it's not opening till I think the summer. Oh, okay, yes. okay. Is that a recruitment tool that you use, Clint Wilson? To uh, you know, <laughs> it doesn't you, hurt, right? It, it doesn't hurt. Let's put it <laughs> exactly right. It does not hurt to have a Panera Bread in the engineering building. <laughs> if nothing else, it might attract. It might at least get some other students to come over to our side of campus because I think a lot of them are a little intimidated. Yeah, y'all just got a brand so, new building though, right? Didn't you? We. We just went through a $110 million renovation. Yeah, Patrick so Taylor you, Hall, right? You, exactly. You can't even, it doesn't look anything like it did before. And matter of fact, the groundbreaking is tomorrow. Oh, that's excellent. So, excellent. Yep. 
Well, we wanted to have you on the show today. You are a good friend of ours through the Center for River Studies and so many other things. You have 15 years of experience in applied research in water resources and environmental engineering, and we trust you to help us decode some of which is going on. You were the chairman <laughs> of Changing Course and, and a few other things. Um, so you have actually been, maybe we've talked about this before, um, you have a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering from Pennsylvania State University. That's amazing. How do you get from aerospace engineering to the Mississippi River, Clint? Well, let, let me start with this. How about a virtual high five from back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Excellent. high five. First, Excellent. Okay? And I'm also going to say off the bat that I'm not drinking a daiquiri. Oh. Okay? But, but I would if I was there with you. Um, so, actually, I um, started out a couple years in biochemistry, switched over to engineering because I didn't like to memorize, so I picked aerospace. <laughs> I actually spent seven years in the Marine Corps. After yeah, I saw that too. And flew. My dad was a pilot, so I picked aerospace engineering. But after I was done, I said, you know, after I was you know, kind of peaked in the Marine Corps in terms of fun, six, seven years, I was like, what am I going to do now? And I just thought about combining kind of fluid mechanics, how, how water and air flows, and thinking about some of my biology and chemistry classes and said, you know, I think we could link some of this stuff together. And sure enough, environmental fluid mechanics is where I ended up. So I love to that? hear about people's backgrounds. That makes so much sense now that you say that. And that's yeah. one of the best things actually about Delta Dispatches is, is learning the history about how somebody got here and why they work on things. But thank you for your service, of course. Oh, you're so welcome. we had um, we had some of our uh, CPRA friends on uh, and we talked about the Center for River Studies. So tell us from your point of view, what has the response been to the, the LSU Center for River Studies? Uh, it's really even hard. It's hard to describe. I mean, I think I mean, I, like New York Times this week, yeah, right? New U.S. News, World and Report. Know, I mean, just blew up, right? It has. You know, we've been we've gotten a lot of great press and I, we're doing some interviews next week at CBS Morning News. Oh, think, wow. And maybe here and now on NPR. And, um, you know, it's just going to increase the number of people wanting to come see the center. And that's, I guess, a good problem to have. Right. Yeah. Um, and no, it's been amazing. And I think even those of us who you know, sawed the ground before they even started, you know, driving piles, um, are still excited every time we walk in there. And so it's really fun to see people's faces, right, as they come in. Yeah, and that aha moment. About it, and you walk up the stairs, and then you open the door, you walk through that door, and it's like, wow. Yeah, this is it is. Amazing. It is that moment. So, it, I mean, it obviously is. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Clint. No, just, no, just okay. And I think the other part of it is then when we try to talk about what we're doing with the river, what CPRA, when CPRA talks about the master whether it's the coast their five-year coastal master plan or the annual plan being able to show things on the model to be able to see the river flowing you know talk about trying to use the river's resources just people are like ah they, they have that aha moment or they have the wow i get the spatial aspect i understand why you're doing different projects you know why do they have so many different projects in the master plan well you know they all actually work together right and there, there's actually a system there's a systems approach to this and, and, and they work off each other. So it's a really cool part of that. Um, yeah. And, and so, I mean, it's obviously getting a lot of attention and impressing a lot of journalists here and nationally. Policymakers have come through, but also students. How are the students reacting yeah, to the center? <laughs> it's, a, it's, you know, from as an engineering nerd, right? Um, <laughs> it's really, okay. I mean, it's so great. And I'm going to tie this back into what you said earlier about Pat, the new, the renovated Patrick F. Taylor Hall, which to those of people who are listening who went to LSU more than six or seven years ago, formerly known as SEBA, okay, so um, 
because a lot of people go, where's SEBA? And you're like, well, it's now Taylor Hall. But point is, it's amazing to bring students, prospective students and their parents and show them the new engineering building, show them the incredible space, and then take them out to the Center for River Studies and talk about, you know, not just the hands-on research they could do, you know, if they were going engineering or, or, or coastal science or, or hydrology, but to talk about, hey, look, you're interested in, in communication, you're interested in policy, you're interested in um, coastal design or, or, or um, construction management, right? And the, the, the exhibit, the outreach, the education, communication area, it just shows how all of these disciplines, how people can get involved and how students can get involved. And, you know, then the opportunity to meet people like you all when you come out here, you know, the stakeholders, the NGOs, the legislators, the visiting scientists and engineers. You know, the students not only get hands-on experience, they're going to get an opportunity to interact with a lot of people. And, you know, I think they get really excited and they see that it's stuff that's highly relevant. Right? It's work that's so relevant. And... Um, it's just it's a win-win-win. Yeah, can't, can't speak enough. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm so glad to see that y'all are getting the attention that you deserve. Well, Clint, we are up against a break. Do you mind holding okay. on? We want to talk about that science a little bit more. Certainly. We want to start to get down into that. So, uh, if you hold on with us, Clint, we'll be back. Um, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress that has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org.
And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Bear with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Welcome back to the show, Clint Wilson, a self-described water nerd. You said that yourself. <laughs> Professional dog walker, <laughs> former <Yeah>. Marine officer. <laughs> uh, you, I, love, I follow you on Twitter. Jack and I were just talking about that, too. So we love when our friends are on Twitter, too, so we can uh, follow the work. And obviously, we're interested in a lot of the same things. So, yeah. uh, so let's talk a little bit more about some of the science that we saw last week. There was an article in Scientific American, which I think came... Um, from even maybe another source called Taming the Mighty Mississippi. So um, so it says that human meddling with the river is blamed for most of the rise in flood levels, but the role of climate change remains unclear. So you weren't part of the research, right? But from your point of view, somebody who studies the river so much, what's your take on an article like that? Well, I think first, you know, understand, you know, the way science works is that you know, people were pushing the envelope or, or trying new ways to make measurements, right? Trying to find way, you know, find ways to, in this case, measure discharges, right? They're trying to measure what the flow rates were over the last, what, almost 500 years, mm-hmm. I think, study-wise. And so, you know, I think that kind of work is important in terms of, of pushing the, you know, our measurement techniques, the way, we, the way we try to estimate what's been happening in the past, I think that, you know, we, you take it with a certain amount of, you know, uh, I say certainty. Um, maybe the other way to say it is there, understand there's a certain amount of uncertainty in there, right? And how, let's say, the, the main argument about river engineering being the driver, um, you know, I think it's there and is a signal, you know, whether it's as, um, as severe as they, you know, as they point out, you know, I think there's some, there's some, discussion that's been around that um but there's no question look i mean the bottom line is there's no question engineering the infrastructure we put along the river the levees has made an impact and would have an impact on the flooding right so there's i think that's not arguable we all understand that and that you know we know that you know when you straighten a river when you cut out the bends when you put when you levy it there's going to be you know you're going to convey a lot more water it, the flood you know the, the the ability for a river to attenuate to knock down floods is going to get is going to decrease when you straighten it and when you levy it so um i think it's it, it's a fascinating article i think it tells us it, it gives us some additional information that we just didn't have and you know the way science works you know is that people are going to can can going to build on that right so now they say oh look we, we're getting some data on this how can we bolster that? How can we get some more data that's complementary and maybe give us a little more quantitative understanding? I don't know if that makes sense or mm-hmm. not. But, um, yeah. So I think, I think it's really cool. I mean, look, from a science perspective, you want people to push things, right? You want yeah. people to push our understanding. I appreciate that. So, you know, we talk about the river a lot. We've actually, you know, talked about it in, in different ways. But, you know, you are, you know, you know the Mississippi so well, the hydraulic mm-hmm. sediment transfer You've been thinking about where the river goes. You think about where the river really wants to go. So, what do you what do you think the Mississippi River really wants to do right now? Well, I think any river wants to meander. Right, mm-hmm. the river wants to meander. It wants to have some room. It wants to spread out. Um, so, you know, whether you say exactly where it wants to go, I don't think you know. If you went and studied you know, a thousand rivers in the world, I'm not sure you could still say, oh, I understand how they meander, you know, directly, and I could predict what's going to happen. 
Um, so I'm not, I'm not trying to evade your question. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying, you know, but I, so I think we, we know the river wants to meander. We know the river, you know, we, we know it would like to have bigger floodplains. It would like to have more room to grow and to spread out. Um, yeah. And, and I think, and so I think, go ahead. No, 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 you go. I was going to say, well, I think, I think that's where, you know, studies, the people that are doing the studies on the, on the river, I think the Corps of Engineers with continual monitoring, mm-hmm. you know, are Right. So, you know, we kind of we understand what rivers want to do. And when you but when you engineer them, and you, you kind of try to control them. You know, it's really critical to do continual, um, you know, data gathering, continual analysis of what's happening. So you can look, start looking for any perturbations or any, you know, anything that seems a little bit off, you know, or a little strange. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so and that's kind of like, you know, the you have to know the history of the river, right, to know where it might, you know, about its future, right? And that, But that you're right about that it used to meander, you know, and, right. and now for lots of, lots of reasons it doesn't meander anymore. But what does that mean in terms of not being able to, to do what it really wants to do? Is that fair to say? You have to think about yeah, the history but when you think about its future? That's right. Yeah, I think if you go back and look, and I'm sure you too, if you haven't, I, I encourage you to go look up, you know, Google Fisk, Harold Fisk, an LSU geographer who did some beautiful maps back in the 50s, probably 40s and 50s. And, you know, he, he tracked and he, he traced out a lot of historic meanders of the Mississippi River. And so to be able to put that that map or those figures of the, the way the river used to meander and put it next to what the river looks like now gives you an idea of really kind of what a struggle it is right, to contain and to yeah. try to control yeah. a river. And so I think you're right. It then gives us a feeling for, well, this is what the river wants to do. And so therefore, you know, you, you, we have river engineering strategies to try to, you know, keep the river where it is, try to maintain the navigation. And as you pointed out, you know, we also, we want to keep, community safe you know the communities and industries along the river we have to keep them safe yeah and there's so many elements that you know go into it that i didn't you know i, I didn't even consider like when we had mark schlefstein on to talk about the opening of the bonnie carey spillway he mentioned just you know the amount of sediment at the bottom of the river and how that's impacting the frequency of floods it's not just about precipitation you know upriver, which is right. a huge factor um and, and clint i know you know you mentioned it but a lot of people don't realize how much resources go into maintaining the river in its current channel. And I know you led a, a competition, a design competition called Changing Course. Um, and there was a study about uh, another study that came out recently, a two-lane study that we're going to talk to Alex Kolker about, but, you know, about how do we maintain the Mississippi River Delta or can we maintain the Mississippi River Delta as it is? Um, and it kind of posited that, no, we, we can't maintain it into the future. So, Tell us a little bit about that and about changing course and what you sought to do through that competition and then really what that means for the future of the river as we know it. Well, certainly. I think, I think all three teams that competed in the changing course competition, you know, kind of came to a conclusion. And I'm, I'm not going to say they had overly quantifiable data to rely upon, but I think, you know, the, the understanding of the way rivers work and river deltas, you know, behave, work and subsidence and sea level rise and those forcings and those processes, you know, they all came to the conclusion that, you know, the, the lower part of the river may be unsustainable, right? We're, we're not getting, you know, the, the material down there. I think it, it's, it's not being nourished. It, you know, it's very, you know, rivers, you know, want to be uncontrollable and wild, right? Mm-hmm. And 
when you're adding these additional forces like the subsidence and the pressures from the coastal region, you know, it's going to be tougher and tougher to maintain, right, to, to keep that. And, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money. So all three teams kind of get back to changing course. All three teams kind of said, look, this may not be sustainable, um, the lower river. And I think that when you combine that understanding with some of the, I think some of the work that came out of that two-lane paper, as well as some other other work that's been done, is that, you know, we also, you know, between subsidence and the amount of sediment resources we have, that the, the, the footprint of the lower Mississippi River is going to be, is, is, is going to be different, right? It, there's only, there's, we only have so much resources, we only have so many, and I mean resources in terms of sediment, resources in terms of dollars, Right. And yeah, right. That's when a you kind of add all those together, you start realizing, you know, what is a reasonable, um, you know, you think about a house. Yeah, we'd all love to have a 10,000 square foot house. Well, maybe not <laughs> love to have one, but, you know, <laughs> you start thinking, well, my lot's not big enough and I don't have enough money. Right. And you start, you know, you start constraining and looking into the That's future. That's a good analogy. Saying, Do I have enough money for taxes? Do I have enough money to to pay the operation and maintenance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, do I want to cut the yard if I have, you know, if I end up with huge, you know, you know, get a huge piece of property where I can put the house on, can I actually maintain it? Um, so I guess when you put all those together, you just, you know, it really, I think helps put some, I don't want to say numbers, numbers isn't maybe the, nest, the best way to say it, but maybe it puts perspective. Some, it, it adds a depth. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah, and you know, we had Natalie Perrinan on the show last week, and she did uh, a, a letter to the editor that actually yeah. ran in the Washington Post that basically said, look, this is even more reason why we need to make these decisions now and, and take advantage of the time we have now, the limited time to kind of build land where we can through diversions. Clint, I'm really sorry to cut you off, but we're, we're out of time. Uh, appreciate you being a guest on the show, and, and we'll have to have you back again soon. My pleasure. Thank so you, Clint. Evening. And congrats on all the successes yeah. with, uh, with the River Center. Thank you so much. All right. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to WGSO on 990 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. We are continuing our hashtag Science Thursday. Episode uh, 50. Episode 50, perpetually episode 50. <laughs> um, we're so excited to have a repeat guest, one of our favorite on with us, um, Dr. Alex Kolker, Associate Professor at the Louisiana University's Marine Consortium, LUMCON, as well as um, Professor in the Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences at Tulane University. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches, uh, Dr. Kolker. It, it is great to be here. It's great to be here. So, I think you're like officially our number one... Yeah, I yes, think, I think oh, so. Well, thank you, thank you. That, that means a lot, actually. You're like our regular. You're our steady. <laughs> thank you, Alex, for being our steady. So, Alex, I don't know if you know, but New Orleans is getting a new mayor next month, and it is not Dupree. What happened? I I know, I know. You know, all the all the dogs turned out for him, but he didn't get enough of the cat vote. Oh God! I know, I know. Feral cats, tabby I know, cats, I, neighborhood I think, cats. There's you know, a lot of them. He's great. He can be a great politician and a terrible one. And when you bark at, you know, the voters, sometimes they don't show up for you. 
Well, I hope he's learning his lessons and Maybe he'll, he'll kind of he'll rebuild, yeah. make a move. Yes, <laughs> but but he is ready to work with the new mayor when when she takes office. Okay. So. Do you take Dupree down to Cocotry? There are lots of I, Duprees you know, down I, there, I, you know. I do, I do not. Mm. Um, I, he would very much like to come down here, but uh, but it's lots it's, of things to bark at down there. It's a lab, and oh yeah. The, yeah. So. Well, even though it is a lab, a lot of people are going to be able to get down there. You're having an open yes. house this weekend. We want to talk about that. But first, we want to follow up on some of the science yes. stuff because you scientists have been very busy as of late. Yeah, there have been a couple of really exciting, interesting studies that have come out in the last in the last month or so. So we touched on this with uh, Dr. Clint Wilson, mm-hmm. but um, one of the studies that got a lot of attention, a Washington Post article as well as coverage here locally, was this study by Tulane, by some of your colleagues, um, about the Mississippi River Delta and what the future of the Mississippi River Delta um, looks like. So tell us a little bit about that study yeah. and what how you found it. What, what, what were yeah, some of the so, findings uh, like to you? Yeah, so from a pure science perspective... There was some beautiful work in that study. They looked at the rate of how fast Bayou Lafourche built out to sea, and they um, and they basically did it with a kind of a newfangled uh, sediment dating technique in which you actually look at the rate at which radiation builds up in sand grains. Uh, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but actually radiation, can, just natural background radiation can build up in sand grains, and they use that as a way to get ages for how fast the, for how fast the delta moved uh, and how fast it grew over time. And so from a pure science perspective, it was really, really fascinating. Um, and they basically calculated how fast Bayou Lafourche built over time. Um, so I like that part of it. Um, they did then talk about, you know, how, and one thing they said is, you know, we're, we're not, Bay Lafouche did not build at the rate at which the whole coast is being lost. Um, and that part was, was interesting. Um, from, from my perspective, um, we've known that, you know, and with that, you know, we wouldn't, we'll never be able to rebuild the entire coast. But I think one of the messages that's come out of the master plan is that we need to prioritize, and that if we, we prioritize, we can build a lot of land, you know, we can still build a meaningful amount of land that's going to provide ecosystem services, be habitat for birds and for fish, and provide flood protection for, for cities like, like New Orleans. So I think that one of the key points that I took out of that is we need the kind of prioritization that is in the master plan. Um, because we are going to have some, some tough choices ahead. And my thought is, you know, that's why we need to, we need, yeah, we need those kinds of prioritizations to help us choose what's going to give us the biggest bang for our buck. That's very interesting. I like the way you said that. You always say things very approachable. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I think that that's, and the master plan has that prioritization tool, which basically is basically like a computer algorithm that chooses, that looks at how we build land and how we, you know, all of the, all of the science, the amount of sediment that's in the system, the amount that we're sinking, and where we, where we build and, and, and lose land. And so I think it comes up with a, so, you know, the, 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 the results from that, I think, haven't changed, that we, we need to make hard choices, but if we make a lot of hard choices and put our efforts in the right area, we'll be able to rebuild a, a meaningful amount of land in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that was something I remember when the 2017 master plan came out, we were a little, you know, just curious about whether how people would react to this fact that, you know, it's, it was saying for the first time, we can't 
save everything. We can't right. maintain as, the coast as we know it, which is a really hard reality. It's it's you know devastating for so many people who who live and and work here. Um, but you know, it's about building that's a smaller sustainable delta that is as much of the coast as we know and love, um, and and maintaining that. So. Yeah, a friend of ours on Twitter uh, said, you know, they had the headline, and and the person replied who was involved said, you know, that's literally the intent and the name of the master plan, right? You know, is that, um, you know, we can't do it all, but we can be smart about what we do and how we do it, and and start to have those conversations. Alex, how, how, you know, there was a lot of science that came out last week and some have similar themes. And, you know, how do you, as a, as a regular person, even as a scientist, like, how do you put all these things together, how they relate to each other? And then, you know, you know, you just have to just read it and, and unpack it, right? right. And then and put it in its to, place. I think you have to read like the whole, you know, as a scientist, I try and read as much of the literature as I can. So you have to it's often not any, it's rare that there's one, sometimes you get one individual study that, that really is groundbreaking, mm-hmm. but a lot of times you need to look at all of the studies put together. Just like if you're, if you're a Saints fan, you know, you can't just focus on the one day that they win or the, <laughs> one, day, or the one day that they lose, yeah. right? You have to look at the whole season. Best of seven and, series, and huh? Of, Go and Pels. All the, and all of the players, you know, that are, how every player does, of course, the course of a of an entire season and so i feel like looking at the scientific literature is similar to that you often can't look at one individual study you have to put them all together every now and then you know it's just like in football every now and then there's one play that's so great that it you know it just catches everyone's eye and it changes the whole season um and sometimes you get that with science where there's one study that's so important that it changes the entire picture but often it's it's like a football season, and you have to look at how all of the pieces put, fit together over over a long time span. And speaking of other pieces, so I mean, I think a few weeks prior, there was another study that came out, I believe, by LSU scientists about um, the sinking of the Gulf floor near the Mississippi River Delta. So tell us about that and how it relates. Yeah, so that study, again, that was an interesting study. And I don't think it was much the sinking as it was the rate at which the Gulf, the um, the passes, basically the channels at the mouth of the Mississippi River, how fast they're either um, accreting or eroding. So not necessarily sinking, but building up and, and eroding. And what it showed was that South, Southwest Pass, which is the biggest pass of the Mississippi River, the rate at which that is building out to sea has slowed down. And the rate at which, which Passalutra and some of the other passes, which are still big by the world's comparison, but relatively small, modest by the Mississippi River, those areas are beginning to erode. And they linked that to the lack of sediment coming down the Mississippi River. Um, and they said that that's coupled to the land loss, which, which absolutely indeed it is. Um, but this is actually an area where I, my personal opinion, where you need to look at the whole picture, because one of the other things that people are beginning to notice in Louisiana is that the delta may be moving backwards, maybe moving up to up up towards the towards New Orleans, um, and so we're actually seeing in in the delta, you know, increased flow and increased land building, or at least sedimentation in areas around Fort St. Philip. Um, so Fort St. Philip, which is about two thirds of the way down to Venice uh, from New Orleans. There are some crevasses over there, and actually there's maybe 10 to 15 percent of the Mississippi River flow is flowing through area through Fort St. Philip. 
so it may be that as we're losing land in and losing ground in the front of the delta, we're building it uh, a little further inland. Um, and so that's an area where I think we need to put the two together. Um, and so I, um, yeah, my opinion was their, their measurements of the rate of progradation were just beautiful, uh, but I think that they do need to look a little bit more upstream and see what's happening up there. Yeah, and, and one of the things we've talked about in the past is just, you know, what happens when you take sediment and you put it somewhere, whether it's the Gulf floor, whether it's kind of in these far reaches of the Bird's Foot Delta. Or higher in the river. Or like higher in the river, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and so how do you make those decisions? And obviously the state is advancing its sediment diversions that are further upriver, closer to where people are, live, where, you know, there's industry. Um, so, yeah. Which gets back into the smaller, more sustainable delta. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe, you know, may, and this is, you know, this would certainly be a big question, um, but, you know, maybe, you know, the lower reaches of the delta, because the subsidence rates are very hard, are very high, the lower reaches of the delta may, are probably the harder parts to sustain. Uh, and that's the areas near the modern mouth of the Mississippi River, south of Venice, and the areas further up in the system, closer to New Orleans, are sinking less quickly. Uh, and there's probably more sediment in the river channel up there as well. So those areas are probably easier to sustain. And in terms of you know, providing flood protection for places like New Orleans, uh, you may get bigger bang, a bigger bang for your buck. Okay, Alex, we're up against a break. We have to take a short commercial break. Hang on with us. We want to talk about that open house. You're listening to WGSO 990, where we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. Alex, you should probably be happy you weren't here in the studio today. We <laughs> have some interesting exchanges, and today might have been one of the most interesting ones. Thank you, Jacques. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to leave him hanging? I or? am. I am. Okay. I'll tell you off air. We'll tell you Alex, off air. So. Um, so, Alex, we were talking about scientific studies and kind of the, how many have come out recently and what they mean. And, you know, I think it's important for people like you, you're such a great spokesperson and others to come and, and be help making the science accessible. And one of the re- ways that you're doing that is through an open house at LumCon this weekend. Is that correct? Yeah. So LumCon, we're having we're welcoming the community down at LumCon this weekend. So tell and us what LumCon even stands for, Alex. So Louisiana University's Marine Consortium. And basically, that means we're a, we're a marine lab and we serve all of the universities in the state. Um, so everything Tulane, LSU, Nichols, Grambling, um, you name it, we, we, we work with them. Uh, and, so, and we also have a big mission to, uh, to reach out to the public. Uh, and we want to make sure, because the coast is such an important part of, of the state, that people understand how our coasts work. And we're welcoming people down this Saturday to come and take a look around. Well, and I had the pleasure to visit LumCon once when we were filming a video, and it's such a cool facility. It is also really good food. But tell <laughs> yeah, the, tell people <laughs> what could they what could they expect if they get down there and bring the family out on um, this weekend? Yeah, so we're gonna have we're gonna have everything from from people of all ages. We'll have so the the research labs are gonna be open, and so all of us scientists down here we're gonna have demonstration projects to tell people about what we do. So I'll talk about. Uh, land building and sediment uh, and mud that's around the coast. Uh, so we'll have that in my lab. 
and then we'll also have um, like our fish lab. We've got uh, we've got tanks, and we'll be showing people how we how we do experiments on fish. Some of the chemistry labs will be sh- talk, showing about how people measure chemistry here in um, in Louisiana. So the, there's going to be a science component to that. We're going to have some other things. We're going to have boat rides. We're actually do we get to ri- Jacques and I both want to ride on the Pelican. Yeah, what can how do we, we do get on the that? Pelican? We're do you need to be on the show Pelican one more now? time, two more times to get you to get us we, on that we, boat? We can we can, we can work on that. We can't. I don't, the Pelican won't be doing tours, but we're going to have airboat tours. Nice, um, which is going to be pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm not and, going out on the Pelican for two weeks either. Yeah. I'll go out for like long stretches. <laughs> well, this we is a deep deep sea vessel, right? Yeah. Yes, I believe the Pelican, which is you know which is our research vessel, will be here. So people that want to see awesome. what a scientific nice show vessel does and how we take samples on a scientific research vessel and all of the kinds of equipment that we use on a scientific research vessel, people will have the, uh, the opportunity to see that either with the Pelican or with, the, uh, with its smaller cousin, the Acadiana. That's cute. I actually was talking to some of the LUMCON staff, and it was so interesting to learn that of all places, um, Oregon State University, I think is right, is building another research vessel and they studied the pelican because they wanted to know about, you know, the pelican's use and, and what worked for them. So I mean, that's very cool to think I Oregon hate, State, right? I, I hate to brag, but it's probably the best boat in the country. Yeah, um, I think you cer- should be proud of it. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly the busiest. Uh, and it's, it's of, of boats its size, it is the busiest. And it is really one of the workhorses in the National Oceanographic Fleet. Um, so people from all over that want to study the Gulf use this boat. And because it's so busy, it's 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 pretty top notch. So, Alex, there was a recent story in the Times Picayune about Lumcon that I just thought it was so fascinating. It featured you. It featured our good friend Carl, who has taken mm-hmm. us out um, on boats around Lumcon and Cocodrie before. But it also talked about you know the marine lab with a front row seat to coastal land loss. So, what is it like studying land loss at a place that is so directly affected by land loss? That's that that's a that's a great question. Uh, for me, it's something that, that that actually gets me gets me going as a scientist. Um, it's interesting to be in a place where what you're studying intellectually is what you're is what you're experiencing. So the land loss and the water level rise um, is is fascinating, and it it does. I will say, you know, as scientists, you learn to be dispassionate, right? You want to be unemotional about what you're studying because you want to look at it in a cold and very even-handed light. But also, you know, when the parking lot floods and I see, you know, whether or not I can, I think about whether or not I have to put shrimp boots on to get to work, that, that also changes your perspective. Um, so it's a fascinating experience. Um, I personally love being down in South Terrebonne, and I can. I'm looking out my window right now, and I'm looking at the wetlands in front of me. And I will say it's it's quite inspirational. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be part of uh, some groups, uh, some some folks down there that that even talk about how y'all have that front row seat, but what that means, right, in terms right, of I, changing climate and 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 you know the fact that your parking lot floods all the time. Right. I mean, sea, le- sea levels are rising. Sea levels are rising globally. Uh, they're rising faster here in South Louisiana uh, because um, because we're sinking. And so, from my perspective, this makes it the ideal place to study climate change and sea level rise. That you can't get a better place to study climate change and sea level rise. And so, my view is that we 
probably have to embrace it. And instead of saying, you know, we're going to do something else, my view is we need to study it. We've got a serious problem here, but we also have the opportunity to really be a, lead, a national leader in the study of sea level rise um, and climate change impacts, and we should do this here. So speaking of, um, you know, research and studying opportunities, and we've talked a lot about opportunities that exist for students, whether they're in Louisiana, whether they want to come to Louisiana and study this. But LUMCON offers a variety of scholarships and other um, programs over the summer. summer courses for the teachers. and Absolutely. So we've got, like, we have summer classes. Um, so we have, like, about f- five uh, five summer classes. So we've got one on narratives in, in coastal coastal environments and cultures, so one on coastal narratives, one that, that I'll be teaching with Matt Bethel from LSU and Sea Grant on coastal protection and restoration. We'll have some microbial ecology classes and, um, and some skill-based classes, like actually teaching people how to drive a boat, um, <laughs> scientific boat driving, which is, which is important. Yeah. Um, right? need, so, I know some of those people. Yeah, <laughs> so. Jacques needs to learn how to drive a boat. Yeah, I think I'm going to take that course. Uh, how would, can we be I, A-Bears I and Terriers and not know how to drive a boat? Without giving you too much information, I wish I had a boat driving class in grad <laughs> <laughs> So tell us um, the deets again about uh, times. Yeah, uh, it looks so, like you'll have nice weather. Yeah, I think you'll have some music. I think it'll be a beautiful day. So things are gonna we're gonna open our doors at, at nine o'clock, and uh, the main open house is gonna run till till three. But actually, starting at two, the Babino Sisters, so mm-hmm. a local band. Uh, they're kind of a rock band, but they got a Cajun, like, they've got the roots in Cajun music. They're going to be playing, and they're going to be starting at about uh, about 2, and they're going to go till 5. You got some so food? It's, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got, uh, we'll have hot dogs and chili dogs, uh, and we'll have a bunch, we'll have free lunch for everyone. So, um, bands, music, science, and airboat rides. Love it. All, all the way down in Cocodri. What a better way to spend your Saturday. I, don't, I you know, absolutely gonna, agree. And it's like a beautiful time of year. So, I agree. Alex, where can people go to learn more and get more information? Is, is there a website you direct yeah, people? Lum, just lumcon.edu, so www.lumcon.edu. Y'all also then, have an amazing Twitter feed, too. And oh, Instagram. Yes. Your social media is on point. Yes. We, 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 we have a new social media dire- uh, director, science officer, science media director, Virginia, and she's kind of top-notch. Yeah. So, um, so she does a great job. Um, but yeah, follow us on Twitter, follow us on, uh, on Instagram, and, 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 and watch our Facebook page, too. Well, thank you for being on, Alex, as usual. Oh, hey, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for inviting me to, to be on. I love, I love talking to you. Thank you, Alex. And please give Dupree a treat for us and let him know that we still have faith in him. <laughs> next, next term. <laughs> uh, I will. You all have a great day. You too. Okay. All right. Well, another great show of Delta Dispatches, number 50 in perpetuity mm-hmm. um, down, the, down the books. Um, well, we're excited for next week. You're going to be talking to some yeah, Army Tulane. Corps folks. Yeah, we are. We're talking to Tulane and, and the Corps of Engineers about some exciting work there. We're hitting all of our universities. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Always go online, deltadispatches.org. Subscribe, rate us, and tune in next week. Delta Dispatches on WGSO.